Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgress also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he has given us. Thus far the reading of God's word. And previously in the sermon series we've looked at a number of points, and some questions might come up if you didn't hear some of these sermons about, uh, is this teaching perfectionism? Whoever In verse 9, whoever is born of God doesn't commit sin, and he cannot sin. And is that perfectionism, which is... Uh, some schools of uh, so-called Christian thought say that uh, you can uh, uh, live a, uh, you evang- uh, uh, if, you, if, you are, uh, if you are a Christian, you should live perfectly. You shouldn't sin, because isn't that what this teaches? And therefore, you have to advance to the higher life, it's sometimes called, or the victorious life. Um, Methodism is a form of that, although Charles Wesley uh, said that he did not teach perfectionism. Uh, and, but it is certainly on that road. And it is a grievous error in uh, Christendom uh, because it's clear in the Bible elsewhere that uh, there is no one that does good, no, not one, as it says in Scripture. Uh, that no one is, uh, if, even in this book of First John, John writes, 
if anyone says that uh, he, uh, he is without sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So did John forget what he wrote uh, and then writes this? No. Uh, so we did. Uh, we looked at this, uh, these verses very carefully. They are on sermonaudio.com if you want to look at that sermon again and find out why those verses are not teaching perfectionism, in fact. But that's not our verse today. Our, our passage today is, begins in verse 17, which is where we stopped the last time. But whosoever, excuse me, but whoso hath this world's good and sees his brother have need and shutteth up his compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. For thereby we know that we are of the truth and shall before him assure our hearts. That's the, the Geneva Bible of 1599 edition, by the way. Why well, I have a question for you today. Remember I said earlier that I'd met, sat at meet, but uh, stood next to and talked with his wife, Sam Donaldson, in the uh, grocery store line the other day in New Mexico. And uh, so I was telling some of you earlier, and I said that this will relate to the sermon, just to let you know I, I did, uh, did uh, see Sam Donaldson. So my question is, have you ever met a famous person, a celebrity, like a Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Donald Trump, uh, or can't you remember? Well, probably, if you, if you ever met one of those names that I just mentioned, those mega-rich people, you would remember it. Uh, and you'd probably tell other people about it. Well, some folks would call that bragging, especially the people that are jealous that you met them and they didn't. They'll often attack you for that. But, uh, but do you remember the last desperately poor person you met? Did you brag about meeting them? Probably not. I mean, what was there about them that would cause you to remember them, much less make you want to tell others that you met them or brag about it? You know, we're commanded by the Lord in the Bible to remember the poor. Uh, but isn't it interesting, there's nothing that tells us to remember the rich. Uh, that that kind, of, kind of silly, doesn't it? Remember the rich. Well, the reason is simple. We always remember the rich. That's part of our fallen nature. The Lord in the Bible calls that respecting persons. Respecting persons. That means you think more highly of someone because of their place in society. Uh, it might be because they're wealthy or because they're politically powerful or uh, they're a celebrity or maybe that they, they, they're in a position to do something for you. Maybe they're you know, high up in your company or uh, whatever it might be or they're, they're a supervisor or something like that. Whatever their position is, the Lord doesn't want you to show special respect for, for them, respecting them as respecting their persons because of that. He does not want his people debasing themselves by fawning over other people, particularly for reasons like that. You are his people, and you're to show res uh, you're not to show rather respect of persons because of their outward circumstances, because they're rich or powerful or celebrities. The Lord looks at the heart 
and so should you. The people you should respect, most of all, are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's look at uh, the book of James, chapter 2, please. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And again, I'm reading out of the the, uh, Geneva Bible, 1599 edition. My brethren, have not the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ in respect of persons? For if there come into your company a man with a gold ring and in goodly apparel, and they come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect, respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say unto the poor, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool. Are ye not partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, that they should be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor, do not the rich oppress you by tyranny, and do, not, do they not draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name after which ye be named? But if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which saith, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye regard the persons, ye commit sin, and are rebuked of the law as transgressors. And we'll stop there. So we're commanded by the Lord to remember the poor, to do good to the poor in many, many places in the Bible. I'll just tell you a few, and there are many, many more. Exodus 20, chapter 23, Exodus chapter 30, Leviticus 19, chapter uh, chapter 19, chapter 23, chapter 25, Deuteronomy chapter 15, Deuteronomy 24, and many places in the New Testament. But how should we remember the poor? Well, over the next uh, couple of sermons, I want to give you five ways that we can obey the commandment to remember the poor. First, we can remember the poor in our prayers. Have you ever prayed for the poor? Good, good. We are to pray for all the poor and especially for those who are of the household of faith, that is, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there's materially poor people, which is what these verses are talking about. A man comes in in expensive clothes, and you tell the poor person to go sit over there, meaning they're, they're materially poor. People are also poor in spirit, right? Christ talked a lot about that, the poor in spirit. Uh, that can mean a, several different things. Uh, one, though, is that people don't, uh, are not converted. So they they need your prayers as well. But uh, right now we're talking about the materially poor, those who don't have much money. Uh, And we're instructed to pray for all the poor, and I say especially for those who are Christians. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. The household of faith, meaning uh, the Christian world. So make it a point to ask the Lord to strengthen the poor, and particularly Christian poor, to comfort them, and to make his loving presence known to them in all their trials and troubles. 
See, the truly poor, especially in third world countries, suffer in ways we can't even imagine. Second, so first in our prayers. Second, we should remember the poor in our thoughts and our words. See, ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. What people think about, what you think about, you then speak, and then you put into action. So no act is ever done without a thought preceding it. So ideas have consequences. Good ideas have good consequences. Bad ideas have, evil ideas have bad and evil consequences. Third, first was prayers. Second is remembering the poor in our thoughts and words. Third, we should remember the poor in helping them materially. Okay, helping them. Not just with our prayers, although they're very important, obviously. Not with just our thoughts and our words, very important as well. But actually helping them physically, material. Again, in God's Word, the book of James, the second chapter, if you still have that open, in verse 14, What avail it, my brethren, though a man saith he has faith when he has no works? Can that faith save him? For if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Oh, depart in peace, warm yourselves, fill your bellies, Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what helpeth it? Even so, the faith, if it has no works, is dead in itself. In other words, you say to someone who has no food, I feel bad for you. Oh, it's terrible to be starving. I'll pray for you. But you don't give them food. Your so-called faith isn't proven by your actions. And Scripture says it's dead. You really have no faith. I'm not saying we have to give to every time we see a TV commercial or send in money. But if someone, if you see someone in your life, I personally prefer to practice uh, uh, my, my charity personally uh, rather than sending it to a big organization, and uh, there are a few organizations we send them to, but mostly we, we like to do it on a personal one-to-one basis. So you might think about that. You know, if, if someone personally, you see someone personally in distress, uh, you can reach out to them. Now, the Lord has put that person in your path, remember. See, our prayers for our poor brethren are essential, but they have to be accompanied by action. The action of our hands reaching into our wallets is one important way of doing it. There are other ways to do it. The action of us of us cooking something for them is a way to do it. Um, growing, a, growing a garden and growing more food than you need for your family is another way. Think about that. There are a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to just be money. So many Christians go one way or the other about money, by the way. Some believe what's called the prosperity gospel The Lord wants you to be rich. And if you aren't rich, it's because your sin is holding you back. That's called the prosperity gospel. After all, didn't Jesus say in John 10, I am come that they might have life and have it in abundance. That's what the preachers of the prosperity gospel like to cite that one. Well, others believe, other Christians believe, being poor is a sign of the Lord's favor. 
After all, didn't Jesus say, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, in Luke 6? In fact, using those verses as proof that the Lord wants Christians to be either rich or poor is a shameful twisting of his teaching. Think about Job, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon, many others. What one thing did they, well, they had a lot of things in common. What one thing did they have in common? They were very wealthy. They were some of the wealthiest people in the world. And the Lord chose them. Now think about Isaiah, Samuel, Jeremiah. In fact, most of the Old Testament prophets you can think of. And the apostles, Paul, Jesus. They were all poor. So we learn from the Bible that being rich is not a sin. And being poor is not a sin. But being rich or being poor is not a virtue in and of itself. It's not a sign of necessarily of the Lord's favor. There are a lot of rich people who are very evil people. There, there are a lot of horribly rich people, and there are a lot of horribly poor, wicked poor people as well. So we should never look down upon someone because he doesn't have much of this world's goods. But we should never think a poor person is somehow more spiritually elevated. The point is we're not to be respecters of persons, whether rich or poor, famous, not famous, whatever the case may be. We are not to be respecters of persons. See, Christians are nowhere commanded to take a vow of poverty as though money is somehow evil. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians think that, and that's, a, that's an old, actually, that's an old pagan heresy uh, that goes way back, uh, that, that the uh, material world is, is dirty and evil, and it's only that the spiritual world is, is good and holy. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus tell the rich young ruler to sell everything he had and to follow him? So wasn't Jesus saying money is bad, you shouldn't have it, you should give it away. If you have money, give it away. Be poor. Follow Jesus. Well, Christ's point was not that poverty is better than wealth. He was showing the young man that despite his profession of faith in Christ, he valued his possessions more than he valued Christ. It was a test. It was a test of his faith. And we're to look at our hearts. If Christ told us the same, would we do it? Could we give up our possessions for Christ? He's not calling everybody to do that, but he is calling you to put your heart above for him above your possessions. It's a wonderful book by Randy Alcorn called Money, Possessions, and Eternity, which I recommend to you. Uh, it's a, it's a, opened my eyes to a lot of things. Uh, it's uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And uh, it's, uh, oh, I could cite a few things just from memory from it because I've read it several times. But uh, he says uh, he likens a man's possessions, a woman's possessions to, uh, he says, the more stuff you get, you know, oh, I want that latest computer. I want that, you know, couch. I want, you know, the, the bigger screen TV. They come out with a bigger one now. I want that. I want this. I want that. I want this. 
And the more stuff that you get, it becomes like, develops its own gravity. You know, the more, more mass, mass produces gravity, right? So the more mass of, of stuff you have, it, it produces its own gravitational field, and you start to orbit around this ball of stuff. <laughs> you know? And it becomes your life. Another way he puts it is, if you invested your money in Apple stock, not many of us can buy a share of Apple, by the way, maybe some other stock, but I'll use Apple as an example. What would you do pretty much all the time the stock market was open? You'd be checking, what's the price of my stock? How's it doing? Did I go up? Did it go up? Did I make some money today? Did I lose money today? How did, what's it doing? Why is it doing that? I gotta check. What are the what are the financials of the company? What's going on with the company? You know, what are, what is this new product they're coming out with? Is that gonna make the stock go? That's how you think. Instead, what if you invested your money in a ministry? What would you be interested in? How's my investment in that ministry doing? What are they doing? Where are they? There's where your focus would be. And you know what that is? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there your heart will be also. Now, do you want your heart with apple? Or do you want it with the kingdom? Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in stocks. That's not my point. The point is, where's your focus? Where's your heart? What's important to you? It's true that God hasn't chosen many for salvation that are rich in this world's goods. We don't have a lot of super rich people sitting in, in churches today, do we? Most of the super rich you can think of don't appear to have much going on as far as spiritually. Think about it. I won't mention any names, but you can think of, think of, think of the mega rich people that you read about. Uh, and then are they... Uh, are they strong? They have a strong biblical faith that, they, that you can see that they demonstrate. I can't think of too many that do. So God doesn't seem to have chosen many for salvation that are that have a lot of money. Rather, He has, as James two five says, chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, to be heirs of the kingdom of God. Christians are probably, I think it's pretty safe to say, disproportionately poorer than society at large. Probably. Now, surely God could make all of his people rich if he wanted to, right? He could cause the rich people of the world to give Christians and the church their wealth if he wanted to. He did it with the Egyptians when Israel was let go out of bondage. You remember, they gave them all their, a lot of their gold and their jewelry and all this stuff because uh, the Lord turned their heart to do that. Can you imagine what the church could do with billions or trillions of dollars? If Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Donald Trump just gave the church most of their wealth, well, why doesn't the Lord do something like that? I mean, he could do it faster than a gnat can blink. And why does he let his children suffer in poverty when he could make them rich or at least get out of poverty? Those aren't easy questions to answer. I think there are several possibilities. 
The first possibility is that through poverty, he instructs us in thankfulness. He instructs us in thankfulness. You think about that. The simplest thing, some, some things that you and I take for granted, whether it's maybe it's turning on the faucet and having clean water come out, or not to mention hot water come out, or opening the refrigerator and finding something to eat, or having a comfortable place to sleep without bugs devouring us, or being rained on. I think we'd like to be rained on, actually, <laughs> in this climate. But these are more precious than gold to the filthy, crippled, disease-ridden beggar in the streets of some third-world country. Now think about that man or that woman. Think about the very basics you have they can only dream of. Do you ever think about, let's just give thanks to the Lord for these little blessings that we just all take for granted? Those things you don't even stop to think about? You thank the Lord when you turn on a faucet and water comes out? I don't. I don't think to do that. Pray that you'd be awash in gratitude to God that a, that a third world beggar has for a cup of water or a crust of bread. See, a lot of our thankfulness to the Lord comes, or certainly should come, when we see people who are a lot poorer than we are. I mean a lot poorer than we are. And compare that to how ungrateful we are sometimes when, oh, we turn up our nose at some food that's not quite to our liking. What an insult it is to him when we complain we don't have some delicacy that we would like to have. So he gives us so many blessings, not just food, but abundant blessings in such measure, pressed down and overflowing. We don't even notice them, much less thank him. But we notice soon enough when we turn on the light and nothing happens, or we turn on the faucet and nothing happens, or when we find the mattress is lumpy, or when we turn the key in the ignition and nothing happens. See, in his mercy, he's put others in our path who have no faucets or electricity or cars or refrigerators or mattresses. And we're to learn a great lesson in thankfulness from them. But there's a much deeper reason why the Lord leaves some in poverty and doesn't make the church super wealthy. Number one, of course, through poverty instructs us in thankfulness. Number two is that the Lord purposes to have his materially poor saints because in them he makes his sovereignty known to all the world. So ask yourself, who would be saved if it was up to the world to decide? I think it would probably be the rich people, the handsome people, the famous people, celebrities, Nobel Prize winners, presidents, kings, queens. Yet the Lord says, no, I'm not going to do that that way. He says, my ways are higher than your ways in Romans 9, 18. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. See, the materially poor saints are the outward demonstration of those divine declarations. Lord says to the world, oh, you would have me choose the rich and the famous. Well, I'm going to confound you. 
I'm going to make whom you call the wise in, into the fools and make what you, you call the fools into the wise. I'm not going to choose the rich men. I'm going to choose the beggars at their gateposts. I'm going to choose their maids, their plumbers, their handymen. You think I choose the rich and famous? Yes, a few I do call, which you then make fun of, which proves your disbelief. How often does a celebrity, every once in a while a celebrity announce that they're, they're a born-again Christian, and what happens to their, their reputation in Hollywood? But the Lord says, mostly I choose whom the world calls the underclass and make them truly rich and truly wise. I choose whom the world calls poor and make them rich. And these are whom the world is not worthy. Hebrews 11. I do all this, the Lord says, to teach you there's nothing in a person to make me choose him. Nothing of which you, O man, may boast but is all my sovereign will. John 15, 16 said, Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And in James 2, 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, that they should be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to them that love him? Or Mark 10, How hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Yet with God all things are possible. An aged minister once said, If I might choose, I would still, as I have done up till now, preach the gospel to the poor. After preaching in a large, wealthy church filled with the town's upper crust, the kind of church people attend because they want to be seen and be seen, and it's the social church of town, if you've ever been in a town like that, uh, where you can rub shoulders with their boss and local influential people, you know, get to know the mayor and the council people and the movers and shakers, the cultural elite. He preached in that church. This is a true story. He preached in that church uh, as to fill in for the pastor. He said afterwards, I preached on the very first elements of the gospel, the very basics that a covenant child could understand but I was still out of their depth. Oh, how hard it is to be shallow enough for a rich audience. See, people, a lot of people trust in themselves, in their own goodness, the proof of God's favor they think is their own wealth. How difficult it is to reach such a hard-hearted people, smug in their own righteousness. Would we love the comforting word of God half so much if we had all the money we could possibly want? All the worldly comforts at our feet? Riches are a great danger and a distraction that have caused many people to perish. Paul tells the young pastor Timothy to charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded and that they trust not in uncertain riches but in the living God which giveth abundantly all things to enjoy. That they do good and be rich in good works and ready to distribute and communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may obtain eternal life. 
brothers and sisters, beware of growing covetousness. Growing covetousness. Of all sins, this is one of the most dangerous. It grows like a cancer. Charles Spurgeon said of the danger of setting your sights on accumulating money, he said, it's like the silting up of a river. As the stream comes down from the land, it brings with it sand and such, excuse me, sand and earth and deposits all this at its mouth so that by degrees it will block itself up and leave no channel for ships. By daily deposit, it imperceptibly creates a bar which is dangerous to navigation. Many a man, when he begins to accumulate wealth, commences at the same moment to ruin his soul, and the more he acquires, the more closely he blocks up his generosity, which is, so to speak, the very mouth of spiritual life. Instead of doing more for God, he does less. The more he saves, the more he wants, and the more he wants of this world, the less he cares for the world to come. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Remember in Luke 12, the Lord told us of the rich farmer who had a bumper crop. He decided to pull down his barns and build larger barns so he could store his great crop and his other possessions. He said uh, in Luke 12, And I will say to my soul, the farmer talking, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Live at ease, eat, drink, and take thy pastime. But God said unto him, O fool, this night will they fetch away thy soul from thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that gathereth riches to himself and is not rich in God. See, for many it takes the stinging pain of desperate poverty to drive them to their knees and cry, Abba, Father. And when we see such saints who barely have two nickels to rub together, giving thanks to God for his blessings, even giving thanks to God for sparing them from the temptations that wealth brings, when you read of poor Job's faith like a piercing beacon in a black night when he cried out, though he slay me yet will I trust in him what faith how our hearts should be stirred to emulate such great saints you know in conclusion I believe the Lord is pleased when any of his children thank him but I believe he's more pleased with those who thank him from their want than those who thank him from their abundance There's more I want to say about this passage, but that's enough for now. May God give us a a great blessing to all of us in remembering the poor. I'll close with 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he being rich for your sakes became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Let's go to him in prayer.